0: to Prime Venture Partner Podcast, where we bring you impactful moments from the lives of entrepreneurs, new CXOs, and investors who are playing a key role in building digital India.
1: Welcome to the Prime Venture Partners Podcast. I'm Amit Somani, one of the managing partners. We are delighted to have with us Neeraj, co-founder and CEO at X210X. Neeraj, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Amit. Pleasure to be here.
1: Neeraj, love to know a little bit of your story before X210X. I know you were at Flipkart and you were at EatFit, uh, but maybe a little bit of your story and then the story behind X210X.
0: I've been working for a really long time actually, i now. I started working in 2001, finished my engineering and then my MBA and started working in 2001. And my career really has had two broad phases. My first 10 years were in technology firms in India. So I worked with companies like Oracle, Satyam, Capgemini was no longer stint. But by 2011, I was clear that that is not something that I was willing to do for the next 20 years of my life. And that's when I made a shift. I joined a very, very early stage startup in Hyderabad, assisted internet company. I love what they were trying to do. And it gave me an opportunity to do something very different. I actually jumped into operations in that company. And that essentially meant opening up 120 stores in Tier 2, Tier 3 India. It meant hiring 500 store staff, training them up, getting them ready to hit the shop floor. Setting up the entire supply chain in terms of warehousing setup, the logistics network, the returns team, the customer service team, so I did all of that for about a year and a half and I just absolutely love that experience. Uh, unfortunately, that company didn't go too far and in 2013 beginning, I joined Flipkart and it has to be one of the most privileged experiences of my life the next four and a half years. Uh, I joined them in the supply chain team and uh, I continued working in the supply chain team for my entire stint there. Uh, did almost everything there, from last mile to transportation to warehousing, and by the end, uh, I was managing the entire supply chain operations and design at Flipkart. 2017, I moved on and joined kyofit uh, as a GM for their Eatfit vertical. So we set up their set up their kitchen, set up the entire business. We grew to about 25,000 dollars a day. Absolutely amazing journey at Eatfit as well. And um, finally, at the end of last year, is when extra happened. And I, and I jumped into x 10 x I came and Vinny, two people that I respected very deeply for my Flipkart days. What we're trying to do at x 210 now is um, really help startups scale. Uh, we've realized in our journey in the ecosystem for about eight, nine years now that there are two distinct phases. There's a zero to one phase the companies have, which is about product market fit. And then there's a one to 10 phase, which is about scaling up. And that's the part of the journey where I think people struggle a lot and there isn't enough contextual advice or in enough contextual help being given to people to navigate that really tricky part. You go from being very creative in the zero to one phase to actually now rolling up your sleeves and, and having to run an org, having to hire people, having to manage OKRs, having to manage goals, metrics, having to manage the board. I think it can become extremely daunting. And we felt that with our experience in the ecosystem over the last 10 years, largely in the operating in the operating roles that we played we feel that we could make a big dent here. And that is what Xtodent really aims to do.
1: Wonderful. So that leads me to my first question for the podcast, right? You guys have a term that you call company operating system. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what that entails, right? And and obviously we're talking about growth stage startups, typically, you know, series B plus kind of stage, but maybe you can start there.
0: Well, um, I mean, the 10 pillars that we've identified for a company that we think are really important for it to scale well, this is what we call the third pillar in that journey. Uh, The first two being really the strategy in the business design and the org design. Uh, We believe that once you've got those right, that's when you start thinking about how do you run the company well from within. If the leadership player and the founders and the org design are the hardware of the company, we say that the company operating system is the software for the company. This is the part that allows you to function and run the company really, really effectively. And there are, I think, several parts to it. First is, once you've got the big goals identified, how do you make sure that those goals are now translating into very clear execution roadmaps for everybody in the company? We very strongly advocate the use of OKR, for example, in being able to convert your strategy into execution deliverables. We strongly advocate uh, the use of working sessions and decision sessions for companies to be able to debottleneck decision making. We also say that if you don't have a chief of staff, please hire a chief of staff, somebody who can run this entire process for you very effectively. The second element of company operating system is what we call the business finance intervention. I think you've got, now you've got OKR set up. How do you make sure that the core metrics of the company are drilled down to a level that can actually be executed by people on the ground? So taking your L0 metrics and drilling them down to the L3, L4 level in terms of input metrics is what we call the L0 to L3 cascade. Run very effectively in our experience in companies like Flipkart, CureFit, by the team called the business finance team. If you don't have a team like that, strong advice, please put in a team like that to help you very, very early on. The third element of this is understanding the customer journey really well. As you're scaling up, one of the things that you will keep facing a lot of is customer retention not being great, customer NPS falling, and a lot of times people are struggling with why that is happening. TripCart made a best practice of what they call the NPS attribution framework, they essentially said, here are the 10 things that actually move your NPS, and this is how much they move it by. If you have that level of understanding, then you know what sort of levers to put at what point in time. And the fourth element is what we call communication in the org. I think as you're scaling very quickly, people start to feel that they do not know anymore what's going on in the company. They do not know anymore what are the big objectives that the company is chasing. They feel a level of disconnect from what they're doing and what the company is going after. So we strongly advocate a very strong communication forum in the company, whether it is all hands, whether it is one-on-ones, whether it is office hours, even there's time with that.
1: So lots of, lots of gems of insight in there. Let me try to piece things apart a little bit here. So one thing that you mentioned that caught my attention was working sessions versus decision making sessions, Right. And often, you know, you'll assume that most kind of, you know, decision-making thing happens as a combination of a working session and decision-making session. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? You're
0: right, Amit. Typically, decision sessions flow only when you're absolutely ready to get a go or no-go decision from from the team that matters. Working sessions are really sessions where you invite the leadership team for problem-solving work. Let's say you've got a big initiative that you want to go after that you think may have merit, but you still have to sketch out what the details of the initiative could look like. That's when you invoke what is going to a working session and you invite the right sort of leaders to come in and spend time with you in carving out the solution. Once you think you've got a blueprint of the solution right, once you think you've got the impact assessment right, that is when you call a decision session typically not worth 15 minutes with a good strong pre-read of what you are proposing to get a go-no-go decision from the leadership team of the company. So, But I think setting up the institutional framework for empowering people to use working sessions and decision sessions is really, really important
1: so typically like a decision session would you have like four decisions and four back to back 15 minute decision sessions or it could be that you have several working sessions for hours or spread over weeks and months and then you get one 15 minute thing that's absolutely. done absolutely
0: so there is no limit to the number of working sessions that you may invoke to, uh, to reach a point Basically. where you think a no-go decision is required a go or a no-go decision is required sometimes working sessions will lead to, the reality, lead to the reality check that you know what this initiative is not worth going after so there is no decision session required even there uh, so there is no limit to the number of working sessions that are required but typically you want to set aside about one hour a month, one hour a week for a decision sessions, 15 minutes each uh, to actually give people the time to be able to come to you for a goal or goal for a decision.
1: So another interesting thing that you said earlier on was L0, L1, L2, L3, etc. metrics. I didn't quite catch that. Maybe you can elaborate on, I'm assuming L0 and L1 are the core, like not Star type metrics, but maybe what are these L0 to
0: L4? Great. So let me give you a small example. Uh, let's say you're a supply chain company and let's say the big L0 metric that are chasing is reducing cost per shipment by 40%. Now, the L1 of that would essentially mean that there is a last mile component, there's a warehousing component, there's a transportation component. So So you say, you know what, if I have to reduce my CPS by 40%, I will expect my last mile to contribute about 25%, My transportation team to contribute about 30% and my warehousing team to contribute about 50%. That's the L1 breakup of the L0, of the L0 objective. Let's take one example of, let's say, the transportation team now. The L2 articulation of that from a transportation standpoint would be, what are the three big metrics or three big drivers of that transportation CPS? Typically, there would be the air versus surface percentage. What percentage of shipments are going by air versus surface? It would be of the shipments that are going by surface, how many are going in part truck load versus full truck loads? Of the shipments that are going via full truck load, what is the utilization level of the full truck load consignments that you are actually shipping out? An L3 articulation of that, of the air versus surface split, would be how many shipments can be stored locally from a consumer standpoint? How many shipments have to travel nationally versus locally? How many categories can you actually? break down or reduce your SLA that you can promise to your consumer. So I think breaking down your L0 to an L3 level articulation can be extremely uh, enriching in terms of knowing what are the big levers that you have to go after.
1: Wonderful. Very helpful. Uh, so
0: switching to the people
1: side of the business a little bit, you mentioned that as well. I guess two things you mentioned, right? One is investing and over-investing in people, communications, you know, transparency, etc. And the other one that also was very interesting was the NPS components. So let's talk about the people side maybe a little bit, right? You know, can you talk about some sort of best practices, what you think has worked, not just at Flipkart, but what as you advise and mentor many of the growth stage companies in X to 10X?
0: I think the, the one insight that I have at least had, I heard this from a very wise man, Mukesh Bansal of Curefit, is that I think people spend so much time in thinking of the product that is out there for consumers to experience, uh, from the company standpoint. People forget that the company itself is a product. People forget that the people inside the company also come to work every single day and they've invested a lot of their their life with you and you've not given enough thought to the The company as a product part of the, of the equation for them. And I think it starts by with just one very simple thing. It's uh you asked me about best practices and I think I've seen this in QFIT play out beautifully. Please put together what is called the manifesto of the company. Put together, you call it a manifesto or a constitution. But put together a document that encapsulates what the company really stands for. What are the core beliefs that you have as a company? What are the values that you want to live, that you want people to experience and live in this company? What are some of the practices that will follow from those values? For instance, if you say that bias for action is a is a core value of the company, you cannot have people being hired or people being judged on performance management without judging them on that core competency. So if you if you put together that one simple document that talks about what is it that an employee will experience inside the company i think it's a very very is a very very strong intervention i think it's a it doesn't take too much time i think it takes founders about three or four days to get it right but putting that together can have a massive impact on what every single employee they keep scaling up will experience when he joins the company number one number two it also sets a north star for holding everybody true to what you've laid out in the manifesto of the company it allows you to ensure that talk get converted into reality every single day. And like I said, bias for action in the hiring in hiring debris, bias for action is then discussed in terms of whether the candidate actually shows that particular value or not. In performance evaluation, you can't say bias for action is important as a value, but then you know what? I'm gonna penalize you for doing a, for for going to market very quickly. So I think the language of the company becomes the one that flows from what is called the manifesto of the company. So one core best practice that I've seen really play out beautifully is, is setting, uh, putting together a manifesto or a contribution and living every single practice every single day using the manifesto as a non-star.
1: Wonderful. In fact, I think even at Prime, one of my partners, Raj Mashavala, he says, the culture of the company is what Employee number 54 or 550 is experiencing. So you can do this at any stage. Obviously, earlier the better, right? Because then people just start living and practicing those values. But what are people really experiencing? So you can say one thing. I think the biggest challenge with some of these things is if you're not just believing, but also not living those values, right, in terms of implementing them, then they seem like empty talk, right? So actually, the
0: big advantage of putting a manifesto out there from an employee standpoint is that founders have no place to hide after that. If you put a manifesto out there and you tell people that this is what we believe in as a company and this is what we're going to stand for as a company, I promise you, you don't live up to that. In the first town hall that you have when you've done a violation of that manifesto, there will be an outcry. People will not hold back. So I think the manifesto also forces every leader in the company to run the company in a certain manner. And I think that's been one of the, one of the big learnings that I've had from QFIT.
1: Sure. So back to the, you know, elements of NPS. You know, much like advertising, you know, how do you really break it down to attribute what element the NPS is coming from, right? Mm -hmm. So there will be obviously some, you know, qualitative metrics, but some quantitative metrics. Is that just a lot of customer conversations and customer research, or maybe just a little bit of elaboration on that would be helpful.
0: I think it's deep science actually, Amit. The NPS attribution framework that, that Flipkart put together was after months and probably a couple of years of very deep analytical work of being able to figure out what are the various points in the customer's journey where experiences really matter to him. So for example, initially we would have just one NPS score, which would get taken every 15 days for every single customer of the company, which wasn't a very accurate picture of what is really happening with customers. The NPS attribution, the NPS framework in the company evolved to saying that, look, a customer experiences the product or the company at three stages. You've come to the app, you've not shopped anything, which means that a lot of customers who have not even bought something from you, but have experienced you in some way, you've not even touched in the NPS journey, right? So we would actually have an NPS survey done for people who came onto the app, but never really transacted after that. We would have an NPS survey when customers would actually transact on the app. And then we would have NPS metrics analyzed when customers had used the product that they had bought on the Flipkart app. So I think the NPS journey or the NPS attribution framework is deep science and I think having an analytical team in place that can actually, in your own context, understand what are those exact trigger points that matter to customers most is I think very, very important.
1: So I've heard from many people in the industry that you are a you know Six Sigma wizard on operational excellence, right? So maybe we'll talk a little bit about operational excellence and I know you're very passionate about people and org and culture as well so let's start with the operations bit a little bit maybe you can elaborate on on some of the best you know tips and techniques on on how to run orgs which are operationally heavy I guess all of them are but
0: I think I've had the opportunity and the privilege to see a journey at Flipkart where we actually were struggling at one point in time uh, and I was at the helm of the last mile team and we were really struggling in terms of scaling up and that's where a lot of the insights and learnings came from. But over the years, what I've realized is that there are four or five big dimensions of making a really strong operation function. It starts with people design. It starts with the people, the people engine, as I call it in any operation setup. I think when you're scaling up very rapidly, what starts to happen is that you find people, you find attrition levels increase. You find people going on spike, people being more and more disgruntled, especially when you're running blue-collar workforce teams which are dispersed across the entire country. And why does that happen? It doesn't happen because people aren't leaving you because they have found a better job somewhere. People leave you because some basic core tenets of people design are completely missing. Have you hired in the right manner? Have you trained people in the right manner? Have you engaged with them in the right manner? Do you have a design for how all of these elements will actually be done in the company every single day? I think there are some very, very deep learnings that I have experienced firsthand in my, in my career. I've seen the, the downside of not doing it well and I've seen the upside of doing it well. So I think investing in the right sort of people design in terms of hiring, training and engagement frameworks is very important. Uh, I cannot even begin to overemphasize um, how critical it is for any company which is scaling up very quickly, especially for your blue workforce. Second dimension from an operation standpoint is really the operating leaders in the company. Uh, What sort of traits make up good operating leaders? How are they managing the teams uh, every single day? What sort of structures do they have in place as they they keep scaling up? Are operating leaders scaling up with the the company or not? This is the second big dimension of running a very strong operating team. It took me almost a year to hire the right sort of people in my operating leadership team, but it was time well spent. Thirdly is the governance systems in the company. I think operations is like a military machine. Operations should be run like a military machine and you have to have the rigour every single day. Uh, do you have daily morning calls during an operations uh, machine day every single day? Do you have weekly hurdles? Do you have monthly reviews? If you don't do stuff like this, if you do not measure and track the daily the metrics that matter every single day, you will never have a consistent job. Uh, the fourth dimension that I think over a period of time that I've been a very, very big proponent of is the importance of design. You know, operations is, is here and now. It is a lot of hard work every single day. They, people don't have time to think about one year out and two years out but you need to do that if you have to keep scaling up if you have to be ready 10x over the next three years time who's doing the thinking around that having a very strong thinking arm in operations called the design team I think is super critical fourth the the, the fifth dimension that I think is very important again is really thinking about severe high severity incidents a lot of time when you're scaling up the most painful incidents are the ones which are highest severity from a customer standpoint so have you thought deeply enough about how do you protect yourself against that and if they, if they happen how do you react to that? I think these are four or five very critical dimensions running the really strong Ops org. If you've got them right, you will you have a great, uh, great org.
1: So you, you mentioned several things, right? There's people, there is rigorous process, discipline.
0: How about tools? I think that's a given. In my opinion, when I say governance of daily morning calls, weekly reviews, metrics to be reviewed in these daily morning calls, they can never happen if the systems are place. So I think I'm not talking about tech because tech is an absolute must. It's a, it's a need. So I think for scaling up, tech is an absolute must. And I can't think of any company these days which is attempting scaling without tech. So I think that is, in my opinion, that's a given. But I think using that tech to develop the right sort of metrics and dashboards and sort of tooling for people on the ground is also very critical.
1: Wonderful Neeraj, this is a lot of very interesting insight. We could go on all day here, but uh, really thank you for being on the podcast and uh, good luck to you and x ten x
0: Thank you so much, Avan. Pleasure talking to you as always. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Prime Venture Partners Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to this show so that you can stay updated with great conversations like these. You can share your feedback at our Twitter handle at the rate VP underscore in or leave your review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to the show from.